You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. What can the church learn from penguins? Might surprise you what we can learn from penguins, specifically emperor penguins on the continent of Antarctica. I was reading about emperor penguins. Don't ask me why I was reading about that, but I was reading about emperor penguins this past week, and I learned some interesting things. You know, in the area where these penguins live, uh, the weather can get really, really bitter and cold. It can get as cold as 70 degrees below zero. And these penguins live in this harsh, unforgiving environment. The only way they can survive is if they stay together. And what they do is when it gets really, really cold, they get in this big mass. They press into each other so that they can get warm from each other's collective body warmth. And I found this fascinating. When the weather is 70 below zero, in the middle of those penguins, it gets as hot as 100 degrees Fahrenheit because of all their body heat. And then what they'll do is they'll cycle. They'll, they'll, the, the, the ones in the center will make their ways to the outside, and the ones who've been on the outside in the coldest area, they'll work their way into the middle, and they'll continue this on so all of the penguins can survive. You say, Pastor Wade, what does that have to do with the church? Well, have you noticed that our environment, our culture has become more and more harsh and inhospitable to Christians. We live in a very bitter climate, a very unforgiving climate, if you will, as this society gets more and more secular and following Christ becomes more and more unpopular. And the question becomes, how can we as Christians thrive in the midst of such Dire circumstances. The answer is, we got to stay together. We got to stay together. We got to press into one another so that we can be the church that Jesus has called us to be. And we began to talk about this last week when we looked at part one of a sermon titled Zealous for Unity. Zealous for Unity. We found ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. So turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful epistle, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, and when you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Bible says there in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul there saying, you call yourselves followers of Christ, act like it. Let your, let your walk match your talk. Then he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here it is, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Zealous for unity. He goes on to say there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful for this day that you've given us. Lord, every day is a gift from you. And we're so grateful, Lord, for this opportunity to gather as a faith family, to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and to let your word speak to us, Lord, apply to our hearts by your Spirit. God, it is a, a, a joy to be in this place today. And I pray that you would work and move and bless and transform I pray that we would leave today different than when we walked in the room. God, may we leave surrendered. May we leave desiring to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've learned as we've walked through the book of Ephesians that the theme is this. We experience God's grace in Christ which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. That's the overall theme of this book. And as we transition from the first three chapters, which are largely doctrinal in nature, we've seen the focus shift in chapter 4 to a, to a more practical emphasis in light of how we ought to walk in light of what Christ has done for us. And as he starts chapter 4, he begins to talk about the importance of unity. As a fact, in fact, there it says there in verse 3 that the church ought to be eager. That, that word could be translated zealous, focused, eager to maintain unity. Oneness of the Spirit, supernatural unity produced by the Spirit, in the bond of peace. That's absence of conflict. That is, is re reconciliation. It's people living in harmony with one another. So we saw last week, the first part of this passage, that we ought to be zealous for unity. And we saw that there are four characteristics we need to exhibit. That was part one of the sermon. And last week we talked about humility and gentleness and patience and love. Those are the kind of characteristics that... That when people live those out, produced by the Holy Spirit, they will experience a growing harmony in the body of Christ. But not only in this passage are there four characteristics we need to exhibit, there are seven foundations we need to remember. And I want to just walk you through quickly this morning those seven foundations because these are the spiritual realities that we are to build our unity upon. If we'll keep these things in mind, if we'll remember these things, they will help us to press into one another and stay close as we navigate the, the harsh realities of our culture. So seven foundations we need to 
remember. We need to build our unity upon. Number one, there's one body. One body. Look what it says there back in verse 4. After he mentions the characteristics that we need to exhibit, he says there, there is one body. Remember, as you are zealous for unity, as you're working to promote unity and oneness in the church, in the body of Christ, remember that there is one body. Now, as we've journeyed through Ephesians, we've seen that the idea of the body is used as a metaphor for the church. We see it in uh, chapter 1. We see it at, uh, in chapter uh, 2 and 3, this idea that we are the body of Christ. Christ brings us into his church. And this means that we are united with all Christians everywhere because we are all a part of the same body. So this, this foundation is important to remember because when we get crossways with another believer... Sometimes we act like it's us against them and them against us. And we like to get off into different groups and fuss and fight. And that's where conflict bubbles up. We need to remember when those moments come, hey, we're all a part of the same body. We're all a part of the church of Jesus Christ. He's the head. We're the body. We all belong to the Church And that idea of one body is a foundation that we can remember that will keep us focused on unity instead of division. When I was 12 years old, my dad gave me an envelope on my birthday. And I opened it up, and it was a travel itinerary. Now, you know I'm a big Yankees fan. I've always been a big Yankees fan. And on the itinerary, there was... Some information about a trip. And Dad and I flew to New York City. And we went into the city and looked around and looked at the different sites. And then we rented a car and drove up to Cooperstown, which is where you find the Baseball Hall of Fame. Just wonderful, wonderful trip. I was a little guy interested in baseball. And we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And, and then we drove back down to New York City. And Dad had tickets to a Yankees-Red Sox game. Arch rivals. So we get a taxi, we go into the Bronx, and we walk into Yankee Stadium. And it was a good game, a very competitive game. The, the crowd was really juiced up because, you know, they hate the Red Sox, and we hate the Red Sox. But anyway, we, and, and uh, I was there, I was, I was cheering, I was cheering my team on, cheering on the Yankees. You know, we had the programs and eating the hot dogs. It was just, a, it was, I'm just sitting right there on the first baseline watching my beloved Yankees play live. And it was a, a back and forth game, but in the ninth inning, the, the, the Red Sox were winning um, five to three. I remember this, five to three. And the Yankees got, Two runners on base, so the winning run came to the plate. His name was Mel Hall. He was an outfielder. I'll never forget it. And Mel Hall hit a three-run home run walk-off to win the game. And that stadium was shaking. And it was very crowded. And I remember there were people all around me that I'd never met before, didn't know them at all, and we were high-fiving and hugging and cheering, and we were one. Why? We were all Yankees fans. We all identify with one another. 
I mean, there was nothing but joy in that stadium. People stayed for like 30 minutes after the game just cheering and music was playing. It was awesome. But in that moment, we were all Yankees. We were all one. Everyone was getting along great. Well, if it's true of a sports team that they can be one uniting behind their favorite athletes and franchises, shouldn't we as followers of Jesus in the body of Christ be able to unite and be on the same page and cheer for each other and love one another and go in the same direction, one body. Secondly, there's one spirit. Look what it says there in verse 4. There's one body and one spirit. That refers to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We've talked about the Holy Spirit already in this study of Ephesians. But the Bible is very clear, Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14. When you became a follower of Christ, when you were saved, at that moment... The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, came to take up residence in your life. God lives in you. That's pretty cool, right? Very significant. God lives in you. And if you're a Christian, one thing you have in common with every other Christian is the spiritual reality that God lives on the inside of you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? John 14, 17 speaks of the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Every Christ follower, listen, every Christ follower has the same measure of the Spirit. I have all the Holy Spirit living in me, If you're a Christian, you have all the Holy Spirit living in you. And there's a unifying reality to that. Just remember, when when someone frustrates you, or someone lets you down, or you disagree with someone in the body of Christ, remember, remember, they have the Spirit in them. And you have the Spirit in you. And if we both have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, do you think we ought to be able to figure some things out? Because remember, unity is not natural. Division, conflict, that's natural. That's the flesh on display. Unity is supernatural. It's produced by the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, and if I have the Spirit, surely, by His power as we surrender to Him, surely, we can get past our differences and love one another through it all. Amen? Surely we can press into each other and find comfort and strength as we navigate the trials and travails of this world. Every Christ follower has the same measure of the Spirit. Number three, one hope. There in verse four, one body, he says, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Hope here is mentioned based upon our callings. It it lines up with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 that that God calls us to be saved. The calling is God's work of initiating, inviting, and drawing us to salvation. And here's what he's saying. If you are saved, it's because you have responded to the call of God. 
God, God drew you to himself saying, you need a savior. Forgiveness is available. Come to Jesus. And if you've done that, now you have hope. The hope of his calling. The word hope, the Greek word hope is elpidos. And, and, and the Greek word hope doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't line up with the way we use the word hope today. Like usually when we say hope, we mean I sure hope something works out, like cross my fingers, I hope this comes to pass. That's not the biblical word hope. The, the biblical word hope, elpidos, means something like confident expectation. So based upon the fact that God has drawn me to himself, based upon the fact that God has forgiven me in Christ, based upon the fact that I am a Christian now, born again, now I have a confident expectation that I'm headed to heaven. When I die, I will experience my eternal inheritance, the hope of our calling. So as Christ followers, listen, we're all looking forward to the same things. We know that because of Jesus, death is not the end. Death is when we step from this life into eternity with Christ. In Jesus, heaven is in our future. In Jesus, we get to be around the throne singing, Worthy is the Lamb. And we get to be there together. We all have the same hope. Now you say, Pastor Wade, how is that unifying? If you struggle being around some Christians in your life in the here and now, you're going to hate heaven. Because they're going to be there. And if those people you struggle with are going to be there, hey, maybe we need to figure out how to get along here. Right? What? We all have one hope. One call. We're all going to heaven together. So surely that foundation of, 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 of unity is something we can build on one hope. And then there's one Lord. Look in verse 5. He says, you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Verse 5, one Lord. That's the Greek word kurios. It speaks of Jesus Christ, often referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. And it reminds us that we all have a leader and we all have the same leader. And here's the deal. To have true unity, we all need to be marching to the same orders. We're all called to unite behind our leader. And as long as you're listening to the leader and I'm listening to the leader, we're going to be going the same direction, right? We're going to be on the same page because we're all marching to the same orders. It's when we turn a deaf ear to the leaders, the Lord's commands, that we get all crossways and conflict arises. We are to unite behind our leader. And what has our leader said? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, love your neighbor like you love yourself. He says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, make disciples. He's given us his marching orders. Love one another as I've loved you. He's, he's told us what he wants us to be about. And often when conflict arises in the body of Christ, it's because we've stopped listening to the leader's orders. And we've turned inward. 
and taking our focus off of Christ. I think I may have shared this story before. I had a good friend. He served on staff uh, with me a couple churches ago. He was a member of my last church, just dear, dear friend. And he told me a story about when he was in seminary in the 70s and, and he and his wife were attending a church in that, that city where the seminary was. And he said the church had some issues, it had some fussing and fighting. He said one night there was a church business meeting and it got a little, it got a little heated, even to the point where a deacon took a microphone with a cord and wrapped it around another deacon's neck. Which you've heard me say, that's why we use cordless mics. But anyway. <laughs> now, it's a sad story. And he told me, that, you know, he told me the details of it. And it's, it's, a, it's a really, really sad story. But let me ask you this question. When one deacon was wrapping a, a mic cord around another deacon's neck, was anybody in the room thinking about the Great Commission? No. No. Their focus, listen... Their focus had shifted from what Jesus had commanded. The focus had turned inward. And fussing and fighting arose. You see, when we follow the orders of our Lord Jesus Christ, it keeps us focused on others, doesn't it, instead of ourselves. And so much conflict comes when we focus on ourselves instead of following the marching orders of Jesus. One Lord. And then there's one faith. Look in verse 5. One body, one spirit. Just you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. Now, this phrase, one faith, refers to the body of truth that we call Christianity or Christian doctrine. There are a lot of different faiths out there, but there's only one true saving faith. And and this is the the idea of Jude chapter 3, or Jude 1, there's only one chapter, but Jude verse 3, when he writes, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Same idea there, the body of truth that, that is the foundation for Christianity. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, we all have the foundation of the doctrines of Christianity. Biblical truth that we are to stand upon and build our unity upon. And listen, we are to stand on the truth of Christianity because it doesn't change. He says there in Jude 3, it's a faith once for all delivered to the saints. God hasn't said, you know, I I said that in the first century, but you know, I've, I've thought about it and I've changed my mind. God doesn't change. And when he speaks, his truth does not change. And so the faith, biblical Christianity, does not change. And we're to build our unity upon that faith. And here's just a a kind of a a balancing thought to kind of balance out what I'm saying about unity that we need to to keep in mind. And I want you to hear it. It's very, very important. We are never called to unite at the expense of truth. The Bible calls for unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But there are some dividing lines. There there are some things that we we can say... 
we can't cooperate together if you are teaching or believing something that contradicts the faith. Biblical Christianity. We are never called to unite at the expense of truth. We are to unite on the foundation of truth. There is a, there is a big difference. And you say, Pastor Wade, where's the dividing line? How do we know when we're supposed to unite with someone versus go our different directions? Well, the most obvious dividing line is the gospel. Over in Galatians chapter 1, Paul said, If anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. It's serious business to twist and distort the gospel message. You say, Pastor Wade, what's the gospel? The gospel is very simple. We're sinners separated from a holy God. We deserve punishment and wrath, but God loves us. We talked about this morning in my Bible study. God loves us so much, he sent his only son to this earth. And Jesus came to this earth and took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary and lived a perfect life as the God-man and went to the cross and died as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. He died for our sins. He took our punishment. He was buried, and early on the third day, he rose bodily from the grave and if we will place our faith in the finished work of Christ turning from our sins we can experience forgiveness eternal life a relationship with God and if someone preaches a different gospel than that we're not called to unite with them there is a time we, we say we need to separate. We need to go our separate ways because your false teaching is corrupting the body of Christ and corrupting the church. And, and the dividing line is the gospel. The dividing line is the faith, the Bible, the authority of Scripture. We believe that the Bible is truth with no mixture of error. It is our final and sole authority for faith and practice. And if someone tries to bring into a church a different authority then the Bible, we, we need to go our separate ways. For example, someone says, comes up to me and says, Pastor Wade, I, I hear what you're saying, all those sermons, and you preach that you know, Jesus saves and Jesus is the only way to be saved. But I, you know, I really believe that there are different, different ways to God, different paths to God other than Jesus. Oh, and by the way, I want to teach a Bible study at your church. I would say, I love you. I'm praying for you. Let's talk some more about it. Let's research this together. Let's sit down and, and talk and go through the scriptures. But as long as you are building your life upon this false gospel, you're not going to teach at our church. Because instead of unity, that would bring disunity and would bring confusion. And would lead people astray. So here's what I'm telling you. I'm not being ugly or harsh. But there are some things that are worth dividing over. And, and our, our call is to stand on the truth. And, and, and build unity on the truth. But we never pursue unity at the expense of truth. And there's a lot of different areas we could talk about. But there's one faith. We're called to stand on that one faith that does not change. There's one baptism. Look in verse 5. He says there, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
The word baptism means to immerse or to dip. That's what the word means, baptizes, the literal meaning of that word. In the early church, baptism was the outward act that symbolized, proclaimed what Jesus had done for them. That's what the Bible teaches baptism is today. It's a, it's a symbolic outward step that, that pictures what Christ has done inwardly. And there's historical evidence, listen to this, that in the early church, in the early centuries of the formation of the New Testament church, baptism was very, very public. In fact, it was kind of a, a crossing of the line. I love the, the old John Wayne version of the movie The Alamo. There's a scene in The Alamo uh, where Jim Bowie is sick and he's on a, on a cot. And the, the leader, Colonel Travis, gets everyone together in The Alamo. And he says, listen, we're facing overwhelming numbers, overwhelming odds. Uh, we're not going to make it out of here alive, but we're called to defend, uh, defend this mission, defend this fort. And so... Colonel Travis dramatically draws a line in the sand. He says, if you're going to stay and fight, cross the line. And, and, and Jim Bowie says, he gets some guys that move his cart across the line. I'm staying to fight. I love that scene. In the early church, baptism was a crossing of the line. It was a way to say, I'm leaving my pagan background behind. And I'm stepping into Christianity and following Christ. It was very public. By the way... Baptism is a crossing of the line all around the world today. There are people that are baptized in other nations who are persecuted because they're baptized, because they're identifying with Christ. And in the early church, it was a very, very public thing. It's ironic that Paul teaches here that baptism is the foundation for unity. And today, baptism is one of the most divisive issues in Christendom, isn't it? That's why we have different denominations. Baptism is a big, big issue in the body of Christ. But very simply, the Bible, the Bible record teaches that baptism is for Christians, those who have placed their faith in Christ. It's an outward symbol. It's done by immersion. And I could, we could have an old another sermon on that, but that's not my point this morning. My point is this. We can all look back to our baptism as a spiritual milepost. A special moment in our lives where we, in effect, crossed the line and said, I want to let everybody know I'm a follower of King Jesus. One, baptism. We can all relate to that baptism that we have. But finally, before we close, we've looked at one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and then one God. Look what it says back in chapter 4, verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The final foundation that we are to build our unity, unity upon is the fact that there is one God that we follow and worship. Notice what he says about this one God. He says that... He is over all. That speaks of his sovereignty. He's in control. He is through all, which speaks of his providence. He's working through every circumstance and situation in life to bring about his will and his plans and purposes. And then he's in all, which speaks of his omnipresence. God is everywhere. You cannot escape God. And so God is sovereign and providential and omnipresent. But here's what's so amazing about verse 6. Look what he says. One God and Father of all. 
This God who rules and reigns, this God who works in human history, this God who is omnipresent and omnipotent, this God is our Father through Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. Every Christian, every true Christ follower who's been born again is a child of the one true God. And certainly that's a foundation for unity because here's the deal about God as your father. You listening? He doesn't play favorites. As our father, he loves us all the same. Can I get an amen? We are all, we've been teaching the kids all week long. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and special in God's eyes and God cares for us. He's our He's our Father in Christ. And certainly when we find ourselves dealing with conflict or hostility or disagreement, certainly we can remember, hey, we have the same Father who loves us and cares for us. One God, and God doesn't play favorites. And so... We're called to be, this is going to bless you, you ready? Spiritual penguins. We are. We're called to get together, press into each other, help each other to navigate the harsh realities of our culture and be who Christ has called us to be. And, and that oneness will happen when the Spirit produces humility and gentleness and Patience and love. And that oneness will happen when we remember these seven foundations. These things that we have in common that ought to be bigger than any disagreements that we have. And as we love each other through it, we can exemplify a spirit-empowered unity that truly makes a difference in the world. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.